0: Hello and welcome You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas It is our hope that you will be encouraged And that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit Go to CoastalOaksChurch.org now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Well, it's good to be here today. I don't know when the last time it was that I was here. I think I, I pinched hit for Tim Williams, who you had scheduled to come in, and he was not able to be here to a family emergency, so I came in and uh, had already known uh, several people in the church because of our counseling presence here. Y'all were the first church that we branched out to in what we call our satellite uh, locations for counseling. And so... Um, uh, Pastor Kevin and I got together, and, and I'm going to tell you what, uh, he was relentless on his questions of counseling and how we did it, because it can be a little bit strange, and uh, we, we do uh, interject heavily in the counseling process uh, a good foundation of theology, because we do feel that we, we are psychological beings. Uh, but it's God who uh, allows us to make the changes in life that we need to make, and we're going to talk some more about that uh, here in a little bit. And I think it was back in the fall uh, where Karen and I were able to come down and do a marriage, uh, kind of a marriage conference-slash-retreat here, and a great group of people, and we had a good experience with that. So y'all have got a lovely church. I get to be in and out of a lot of churches around South Texas, and uh, Coastal Oaks is uh, one of the cool churches. (laughs) Y'all... Y'all have, uh, y'all have a health about you that is kind of um, contagious and, and exciting. So I walked in this morning, and I was told no less than two times, specifically, directly to me, uh, we have prayed for you. And that's a really cool thing. So if you don't know that your church is a praying church. That's what that tells me, because there's not another church around South Texas ever that I walk into and people come up and say, we prayed specifically for you. Uh, and, and so that's a really cool thing. You just need to know that uh, about your church. And so um, so Stitch Ministries, I'm not going to talk a whole lot uh, about that, but uh, it is a cool ministry, and, and, and I, I understand you all are uh, partnering up with some missions Uh, project of the children's home and that's pretty cool thing Uh, but with our our counseling we will have 30,000 counseling hours in a year across south texas from corpus to san antonio to victoria to houston and that's my job is kind of being on the highway in between those location and and supervising uh, the counselors and directors. And, and if you're a praying person, which the, there are people in this room that are that, you have a gift for that. Write down, if you're writing any notes today, we're, we're going into the Rio Grande Valley. And uh, I was there this week, and I've been there before, uh, just kind of scoping and cultivating relationships, which is what we do. We don't just show up. Uh, we, we find people that are doing things uh, like we would have them done, and we partner with them and uh, the Rio Grande Valley is extremely underserved when it comes to um, uh, emotional uh, health and uh, uh, psychological health. So be praying for us on that. Uh, we're, we're, just, we're gonna go down there and we're probably just gonna get swamped. And we get swamped wherever we're at because people really seek us out for specifically uh, what we do because it is just a, a real different uh, style of, of helping folks. So a little uh, psychological humor for you today, and we're going to take a little test in this. Uh, It's not going to be an inkblot test or anything like that. There's a man touring a psych ward at a hospital, so he's with the head psychiatrist, and they're visiting different aspects of this psych ward. And the the man touring it asked the psychiatrist, he said, so what is the criteria for being placed here? And the psychiatrist said, well, that's easy. Come over here and... They went to this bathtub that was full of water and the psychiatrist said it's a very simple test. So if you're gonna empty the water out of this bathtub, I have a teaspoon and I have a cup. Which one would you like to use to empty the bathtub? So the man looks very intently and he picks the cup. And so how many in here, I'd wanna know that, how many in here are teaspoon people And how many in here are cup people, right? So teaspoon, anybody? Okay, a couple, a cup, you got a cup? All right, we're Baptists, we vote on everything, right? All right. So the man looks intently and he points at the cup and he said, I'll choose that one. And the psychiatrist said, well, most people would pull the plug at the bottom of the bathtub. So would you like a room with a window or not? Who was thinking i 'll pull the drain uh, okay, so <laughs> so we know who the healthy people are here and who the unhealthy people are that's that 's what we wanted to do today. I do a lot of marriage counseling and that's that 's my favorite uh, i, I don 't know why when when you go through your master 's program that 's one thing that they try to get you to do is nail down. Uh, kind of your demographic of client. Who, who do you who do you want? Who do you work well with? And so from the beginning, it was just marriages. That's that's all that's all I wanted. And uh, other people they pick children, and other people pick teenagers, and other people pick uh, you know people dealing with uh, ke- uh, chemical dependency uh, needs. And so mine has just been uh, marriages. And so I, I see a a lot of uh, husbands and wives. And we've had a lot of success working uh, there's been some great uh, success stories and then and then we don't win every battle, but uh, we, we sure try and so one of the ways that I describe to people what I really get to do is uh, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart is i get to I get to sit on the front row seat to watch what God is going to do in your life that's the cool thing because I'll tell you right now there, you, we, we can all have a lot of training at what we do in life, but it's really God is in control of how these dominoes are going to fall. And so we can, we can play a part in that and, and we, can, we, we can play along with the rules. And so I hope you have your rule book with you. As long as we do things according to scripture, uh, then, then things are going to go a little bit differently for us. So, so that's what I want to talk about today is, you know, people will ask, what, what is the, what's the key issue? That, that you see with, uh, with marriages, and, and, you know, you, you pick up a lot of books, you read any, uh, you listen to any kind of radio uh, show or TV show or podcast, and they'll, they'll say the leading cause of relationship failure in marriage is money, okay? And and I, I don't think that that's true. And I've said that for years, that I just didn't think that that was true. And I didn't know why I didn't think that was true. But as I've gone through the last 15, 16 years of working with couples, I still don't think that that's true. I think money is an easy target. It's a lot of things that surround money, because if we take money out of the equation, guess what? We're going to have a lot of the same issues that were there to begin with. So um, I, I think money is just an easy target, and it does cause... Issues. Money is hooked to emotions, okay? Uh, you can just, we can just put it that way. Selfishness is, I would say, is the biggest leading cause of relationship failures that, that I, can, I can see. And we're, we're all selfish people, and there's a, there's a positive sense of selfishness, and there's a negative sense of selfishness. And a negative sense of selfishness is when I get selfish in a way that I remove something that doesn't belong to me. I take it from you, okay? It could be time, it could be energy, it could be uh, attention, whatever. Then there's a positive sense of selfishness, and that is something that we all need to be about because we are our own people. And some people try not to be selfish enough, and they put all their problems on other people, right? And I'm, I'm just going to be a humble person. I'm going to put all my problems on you because uh, I, I need your help to carry. It. That's called codependency. And so what I want to do is I want to be selfish in a positive way and I want to be autonomous and I want to take responsibility for my own stuff so that I can be healthy enough to now help somebody else. So that's what that is. So today, we're going to take a real strong look at forgiveness because if I get selfish or I'm dealing with people around me that are selfish in a negative way, I'm going to have to work through some forgiveness, okay? And I think we have a little bit, we have just a tweak off of an idea of what forgiveness is all about. And so a couple years ago, I ran into this and I really dug into it and, and started uh, t- taking it apart, this, this part of Scripture. But forgiveness is can be about uh, big things, and it can be about small things. And we've all had, we've all had certain levels of trauma in our life. We've all, we've all lost somebody. We've all had life adjustment issues. We've all had our own, uh, uh, we can call them demons if you want to call them that, sometimes in, I think, a literal sense, and other times just because we don't know exactly what's happening, so we can just label it that we all have our own issues from from time to time and I've learned that real quick from clients that come to my office one of the first things I learned was these clients are just like me that's kind of a humbling you know I thought I thought I was going to see crazy people right but these clients are just like me I guess maybe I'm crazy and just don't know it these clients are people that sit in our worship services these clients are people that teach our Sunday school classes These clients are people that are pastors of our local churches. We all have issues, right? And so one man even taught me this, a great Christian man. I was seeing him for some other reasons. The guy was theologically sound. And he came in one day and literally was curled up on the couch. This is a full-grown man with a family. You wouldn't be able to pick him out as any kind of a weird person in society, came into my office and was curled up on my couch saying that he's hearing voices and they're telling him to do bad things, and I'm thinking, this is not the guy that I saw about a year and a half ago. Hadn't seen him in about six months, and now he's coming in like that. We worked on some issues, and to date, he's about three years past that episode, still has his job, still has his family, and he's a great guy. That tells me, what he showed me is, we're all just about this far away from time to time to really taking a little bit of a click to the left or the right, okay? And so, if you think you can get through life on your own accord, be very careful. We're all going to need grounding in Scripture, and that's why, that's why we have the Bible It allows us to make things clear, and we need that firm foundation because left to our own devices, we're not going to do so well, right? And so, um, but forgiveness can be about big things. It can be about small things. We've all got big things. We've all got small things. But sometimes it's hard to kind of go through this process of forgiveness because we wonder what's going to happen to the person that did the wrong to us. What's going to happen to our spouse if I forgive them? What's going to happen to my kids if I forgive them? What's going to happen to that um, cranky neighbor that I have if I forgive them? They're just going to what? Keep doing what they've been doing? Maybe. And we're going to talk more about that. But forgiveness often uh, rests in our control mechanisms. That's what what holds us in a pattern often of not forgiving as we're trying to really control the circumstances in, in a strange way. And it ends up defeating us. Some people end up just living a life that turns out to be pretty miserable. And there's a uh, if you're writing notes, you can write down Erickson's eight stages of development if you're going to get nerdy about this and go to Google and really check to see what I'm saying. But Erickson had eight stages of development. It's kind of interesting. The, the last stage in life, he takes every stage in life and he says you have to process these stages. He's not a Christian. You have to take every stage in life and if you have negative... If the needle points to negative in every stage of life, when you get to the last stage in life, you're going to be pretty cranky, isolated, and alone. And people aren't going to like to be with you. Do you know somebody like that? He also says if you go through every stage in life and the needle points over to the positive, then you get in that last stage of life and you're going to be generous. And you're going to be peaceful and you're going to have joy and people are going to want to be around you okay so that tells me that's a secular theorist but it tells me that there's some hints in that about how we need to go through life and i need to continue to push things over into a positive direction right and we're going to talk some more about that and if we do then we live a little bit more of a peaceful life and people want to be around us we're going to find other people that, that have peace in their life. So if you'll turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 6, this is where we're going, to, we're going to spend our time today. Luke chapter 6, verse 37 and 38. Luke chapter 6, 37 and 38. It says this, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Oftentimes, we can dictate or predict very uh, accurately our future by looking at our past. Okay? Now, I'm all a proponent about how God can, God can change things with this. And I've seen people that had miserable, awful past who came in contact with Christ, became a changed person, and their future was hugely different than their past. That can happen. We've seen that. We, hopefully, we've all seen that. But if you take your past patterns and you flip them over into the future, that's just about what you're going to have unless you make changes with that okay, and we're going to also we're going to see that in in this set of scriptures, but I want to really park on verse thirty seven it says "Forgive, and you will be forgiven now I was always taught forgiveness is not conditional right that if it, that we have to forgive that God is a forgiving God, and if i if I want to get through life and be the, the, the growing Christian person that I need to be, then I just need to forgive. I need to learn to forgive. Well, this is scripture right here says forgive and you will be forgiven. So it almost sounds like I have to forgive somebody in order to be forgiven. So it sounds like it's a conditional response. So that's what I was reading one day uh, several years ago and really started digging into this, uh, asking myself what is wrong with either what I'm reading now or what I've been taught growing up, okay? And so we're going to take that apart. So the forgive, the forgive is written in a present imperfect state, which means that it's, the action is taking place now, but it's not completed yet. So how we would say that in today's terms is I'm mowing the grass, okay? If you're actually pushing your lawnmower and you're mowing your grass, guess what? You can prove that it's being done right now. You can prove that you're actively involved in that right now, but you can also see across the yard, you don't have it finished yet, but your intentions are to get there. So that's the perfect, uh, uh, our present imperfect state. So that forgive that you see there is written in that sense. It's happening right now. You can prove it, but It's still, you got work to do. It's still going on, okay? So forgive and you'll be forgiven. What's the forgiven? It almost sounds like it's past tense, right? So it's written in such a way that it's an indicator of the first one, right? Let me clear that up. You don't get forgiven unless there's forgiveness at the beginning. Paul says in order to have grace, we have to have the law. You can't have grace without the law. And we can't have forgiveness unless we forgive. What is that telling me? I have to use it in order for me to experience it. You can't. You don't have the right. And you don't have the power. And you don't have the eternal ability to say in full truth... That you forgive me. Because you can't. The the words on the song a while ago, I loved it. Uh, What was it saying? That love love, uh, flowed in red and washed my sins white. Something like that. God is the only one that has the right and the power and the eternal truth to forgive me, unhook me from any kind of misbehavior or sinful nature that I have. We can say that to people. We can say, oh, I've forgiven you for that. But I haven't really been able to release you of anything. So what does that mean? I cannot forgive you. What I'm doing is I'm forgiving me. Forgiving me for what you did, that's confusing, right? Sure it is in the way that we're taught. But I need to forgive me of what you did. And forgive me means I'm untying myself from that situation. I'm untying myself from the bondage that that whatever your behavior tried to put me in. I can't control you, and, and I make a living off of that. People trying to control people, right? We all try to do it. And so even in forgiveness, we, we sometimes say, I'm just not going to forgive that person. Guess what we've done? We've locked ourselves up in bondage until we decide to let that go. And what does it mean to let that go? Does it mean the person just gets to go free and do what they're going to do? Maybe but really what it means is I'm unhooking myself from that experience and I'm choosing to go through life without that anchor of trauma or that anchor of horrible experience in my life. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Does that sound different now? If you forgive, you will be loosed. If you forgive, you will get to go free. If you don't forgive, you get stuck. So, let's look at this. On a scale of 1 to 10, I'm a solution-focused therapist, so again, if you want to get nerd with some of that, you can write that down and Google it. It's kind of cool. Solution-focused therapist like numbers, 1 to 10. All right? We all kind of like that because we can place ourselves there. So, if we use forgiveness to a level 3, Ten's the best. If I say I'm going to forgive to a level three, guess what I've done? I've freed myself to a level three. So those of us that are working through some major trauma or tragedy in our past, we're not going to rule number one. You're not going to be able just to say to yourself, I'm just going to forgive. And then it's just over with that afternoon. If that happens, God has intervened and you've got you. It's a very fortunate thing. But I think we have to forgive to a one. I have to forgive to a two. I have to forgive to a three. I have to forgive to a four on the same thing. Yes, number five, number six. I'm working my way to a ten until one day I'm finally freed of that. I have to work my way up to it. And you say, well, how, how, do, you, how do you see that in Scripture in verse 38? This is a Scripture that really sent me into turmoil for with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. You see how that happens? I didn't make that up. It's sitting right here. You forgive and you'll be forgiven. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Here's the picture of what they were talking about. Now today, we go to HEB and we get a plastic bag with all of our stuff in it, right? Right? Back in the day, they didn't have paper or plastic, no choice. You took your basket, you took whatever you had, a cloth, and you would fill those things with bread and all this kind of stuff, and they would wear these long garments with a belt, and if you needed to pack some more stuff, because HEB wasn't just around the corner. We can stop at HEB, CVS, and Walgreens, and Dollar General uh, just within a block, right? And so we've got it pretty, pretty convenient. And we can get different bags for all those stores. They would have to pack some, pull their garment up, make a little pouch, pack some stuff in there, if it's flour or beans or whatever, and then fold it and tuck it under their belt. And so they're walking out looking like You know, they've got bloomers on, and they've got different stuff packed away. And so what what it's talking about with the measure you use it, it'll be measured to you. You can pack it in there, you can shake it, and then you can tuck it in. And the more packed you can get it, the more you get to carry. And so forgiveness, the more I work at it, the more I touch this subject, the more I study it, the more I meditate on it, the more I pray about it, the more I turn it over to God, the more I talk to my... Uh, uh, help and structure group uh, network of people around me. The more it's going to be measured out to me, it's not going to just happen overnight. So we have to work through this. There's another part of scripture that that I want to show you that backs this up. And don't necessarily go there unless you're in Bible drill. You can write it down. Galatians six seven through nine says this: Do not be do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You reap what you sow. What we just talked about was... Stepping through the paces of forgiveness. Forgive, plant that seed, and you're going to grow, you're going to reap a harvest of forgiveness that goes with that. Does that sound peaceful to you? If I continue to forgive, and when I forgive you, I haven't done anything for you. I've done everything for me. I planted the seed in my own field. And then I get to cultivate that and I get to harvest that forgiveness. And so there is this is a law. Okay? there's stuff in Scripture that are concepts. This is just kind of this is the way how God has built it. This is a law that if you plant something, you're going to grow that something back. That's the way that works. So let's go back to Erickson's eight stages of development. The secular theorist. We, we, can, we can learn things from people. We can learn godly things from people who don't know God. You got that? If you disagree with me, then talk to a pilot in an airplane at 30,000 feet who's not a Christian, and let's let the plane go down, and you're going to learn all kinds of stuff about God from that person, right? <laughs> Potentially, hopefully. Your mechanic can teach you some great things about this world. Not a Christian. So if I reap what I sow, I need to plant forgiveness and I need to reap that harvest of forgiveness wherever I go in life. So this secular theorist says anytime in life you go through a stage, if you point over to the positive, more constructive things in your life and you let those negative, traumatic, ugly, heavy worthless things go, then when you get later in life, you'll reap a life of generativity, not despair. That sounds biblical to me without the guy even knowing it. And so whatever stage in life you're in, whatever thing that you're dealing with, that would be my prayer for you, is to push those things over into a positive, in, into a positive side of your life. How do you do that? You claim this, the truths of Scripture. You claim the power of God in your life. Have you ever felt just completely powerless, utterly powerless that, that this stuff is happening to you and you have no power? If you go to God and tap into His power and learn how to do that, then you're going to see pretty clear how to push this stover, stuff over into a positive direction. Now, I'm not talking about denial. Okay? And I'm not talking about over-optimism. I'm talking about gleaning the, the, the gold nuggets out of every event that happens in our life because they're there. If you look at people that have been through some horrible things, those are generally some pretty wealthy people. Not necessarily financially, but life skills, if you listen to them. And, and so And I would hope that we can do that. So if you're dealing with something today... I would want you to pray in that direction. I would want you to pray very responsibly. What is your role in whatever is happening? A lot of times we pray that God would change the other people, and we wait on them to change. And I would want you to pray more responsibly. What is your role in what's going on, and how do you need to make changes in that? What do you need to take responsibility for? And what do you need to forgive yourself of? Some experiences, also some of our own behaviors. So if you've got somebody here today that you might need to go to, then the invitation time could be for that. If you've got somebody that you need to send a text to, not an ugly text, maybe a text of I'm sorry, or an email, or if you need to make a phone call, later today then you need to write that down don't wait till tomorrow you start unloosing yourself of those bad experiences you will reap a life of benefits peace love joy you know all those fruits you can have that no matter what situation you're in and if you say i can't have that then you you need to check your your salvation with god because that's that open door for us having the attributes of who god is So we're going to pray in just a minute. And if you need to make movement here, that's fine. I'll be down here at the front and available. There'll be some others down here. And if not, then pray for those that are around you. All of us are dealing with stuff. We all have experiences and somebody around you needs prayer and support.